The following audio is from Christian Heritage Church. More information about Christian Heritage Church is available at chctoday.com. As you remain standing, turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. And let's read the Word of God today. This morning I'm concluding the series on the grace of giving. I'm going to try to wrap this up and bring it in for a landing. And I hope that some good things have been deposited in your life over the, through the month of February. And God has raised your faith level. And you're going to trust Him for more than you've ever trusted Him before. The title of the message this morning is God Gives and then you fill in the blank. I believe that as we respond in faith, God gives. As we respond in obedience, God gives. As we respond in grace, God gives. As we respond in mercy, God gives. You fill in the blank. God gives. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 10 through 15. Reading from the New King James Version of the Scripture. Now may he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food. And I want you to catch this next phrase. Supply and multiply the seed you have sown. Supply and multiply the seed you have sown. Supply and multiply the seed you have sown. Are you getting that? Supply and multiply the seed you have sown. Can I get the monitors down just a bit, guys? I've got a ringing up here. Supply and multiply the seed you have sown. Goes on to say, and increase the fruits of your righteousness. While you're enriched in everything for all liberality, which causes thanksgiving through us to God. I love that phrase. You know what it means? It means that when I trust God to supply what I need, and when I then sow what I have into the kingdom of God, my life causes others to give thanks to God. Wow, that's a powerful truth. That's something we need to practice every day. For the administration of this service not only supplies the needs of the saints, but also is abounding through many thanksgivings to God. While through the proof of this ministry, they glorify God for the obedience of your confession to the gospel of Christ and for your liberal sharing with them and all men. And by their prayer for you, who long for you because of the exceeding grace of God in you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Father. Add now your anointing to the ministry of your word. Open our hearts, open our minds, and let us receive what you want to deposit in each one of us today. Remind us it is you who supplies and multiplies the seed that we have sown. In Jesus' name I ask it. Amen. You may be seated. As I said, we're wrapping up this series on the grace of giving. I believe God has done some great things over the last three weeks. He's going to continue that today. And he will continue it in the months, the weeks, and even the years ahead as we apply the principles of his word to our everyday life and to our finances and the way we live. You see, I believe God gives in response to my faith. God gives in response to my giving. God gives in response to my obedience. God gives in response to my service. God gives in response to my compassion that I have for others. God gives in response to the grace that I choose to show someone else. God gives when I choose to display his mercy and when I choose to display his love. You see, the key is simply this. Whatever he's placed in my hand, if I'm willing to give it back to him, he's going to give me more. 
He's going to give me more. And we're going to talk about that today. And I hope by the time we're finished, you will clearly understand that. Kind of reminds me of the guy who was on a deserted island. He'd been marooned for years. Finally, some ship's captain happened to see three huts there on the beach. So he pulled his boat in and he found the guy and he said, Sir, how long have you been here? And the guy said, It's been so long I can't even remember. He said, Well, tell me about the three huts. Are there other people living here with you? He said, No, I'm all by myself. That first hut is where I live. That's my house. That second hut is my church. That third hut over there, what's that? The captain said. He said, well, that used to be my church, but I had to quit going there. All they did was talk about giving. So many times that's our attitude, isn't it? I told you last week I'd be surprised if 32 show up today. So I'm glad you uh, came anyway. Amen. Because I want us to understand when we choose to apply the principles of God, God's word, when it comes to giving, it changes our life. It revolutionizes who we are. So many people are afraid to talk about money. Listen, giving is more than money. It's our hearts. It's who we are. And when we understand that, it opens the door for God to do great and mighty things in us and among us. Let me give you a testimony from this month. On February 10th, we started our Wednesday evening meals one more time. There was a group that came to me. They knew it was my heart. I wanted to do it again. They came and said, we'll do it. And we want to ask Steve Ramsey, who Steve and Linda Ramsey are longtime members of CHC. They haven't been able to come regularly because of Linda's health conditions. She has MS. She's been wheelchair bound for years. And they didn't have a vehicle with a lift that could get her to church. Steve had to physically lift her every time they went somewhere, in and out of the wheelchair, in and out of the vehicle. So it was really more than a hardship. It was almost impossible. But he said, yes, I'm going to give my time to God. I'm going to cook those dinners. I'm going to serve. And I love that attitude. Can you say amen? That's what God honors. Well, a few weeks ago, Linda's brother was at a nursing home in Panama City visiting their mother. He started talking with the gentleman who was there, and the gentleman said to him, do you know of anyone who needs to buy, buy a lift van? I have one that's almost new, uh, and I'm going to sell it for half price. Caleb, you need to go sit down right now, son. Go sit down. Thank you. I'm going to sell it for half price. Yvonne, would you grab him and take him out, please? Thank you. There comes his mama. I'm going to sell it for half price, and it only has 13,000 miles on it. That's a great thing. So her brother said, we will buy it. Well, the rest of the story is they'd received an inheritance from her father's passing. They had the cash to buy that van. He had also received a used pickup truck from her father's passing. So he had another vehicle and transportation for work. And it was absolutely a blessing of God that I am convinced occurred because he chose to step out and say, I'm going to serve where I can serve. I'm going to do what I can do. I'm going to honor the Word of God. Oh, come on, folks, hear me. When we give, God gives back. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over is what Luke 6, 38 says. So we need to understand the principles work in our lives each and every day. Winston Churchill said it this way. He said, we make a life by what we get. We make a, we make a living by what we get. We make a life by what we give. And that is absolutely true. You see, when we choose to make an investment with God, whether it be our money, our time, our gifts and our talents, whether it be our family, giving them to the Lord, when we make an investment with God, God always pays dividends. How does the word say it? You can read it in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8. He says, He will bless you 
in astonishing ways, if you read that verse from the message. Astonishing ways. Steve had no idea that that door would be open and a need they had had for years would be met simply by saying, I'm going to do something for God. I'm going to do something to help the kingdom. The harvest comes in many, many different forms and many, many different blessings. So many times we think it's just about money. Can I tell you, that's the least of our worries. And if we'll align our heart with the word of God and the will of God, then we will understand everything I need will be supplied because I choose to obey him. Malachi chapter 3 verse 10, the Bible says it this way, Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and try me now in this. Listen, anytime you hear God saying, try me, test me, prove me, you need to latch on to that promise. You need to put it in your heart. You need to say, I'm going to do what God is asking me to do, and then I'm going to see what he's going to do for me. Try me, test me, prove me, is what the word says. See if I will not open the windows of heaven, pour out for you such a blessing that you won't have room enough to receive it. Oh, that's a promise, folks. He said, if you'll do what I'm asking, you're going to see me show up. I hear so many believers saying, oh, if God would just show up in my life, I got news for you. Just obey his word. He always shows up. Do what he's asking you to do. He always shows up. Luke 6, 38, I quoted it to you, but from the message, it says it this way in that last phrase, when you give, it's going to be given back to you with bonus and blessing. Bonus and blessing. This is a truth. It's really God who excels at the grace of giving. It's not me and you, it's God. 2 Corinthians 9.15 makes that very clear. It's the last verse in this passage of Scripture where Paul said, And thanks be unto God for this indescribable, indescribable gift that he's given to us. What gift he's talking about? He's talking about Jesus Christ. You can read it in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, where he said, Though he was rich, for your sakes he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. Now understand, he's not talking about material wealth. He's talking about the riches of the kingdom of God. He's talking about a promise of eternity in heaven. Oh, come on, church. We have so boiled the gospel down to what I see today. We have forgotten. It's not about today. It's about eternity. And if I can know beyond a shadow of a doubt that I'm no longer going to hell, but I'm going to heaven because of the blood of Jesus Christ, I'm going to walk on streets of gold. I've got a mansion with my name on it. I'll never be separated from him again. It's a place where there are no more tears. There is no more crying. Where sickness and disease and death has been banished, then that's riches and that's wealth. Oh, somebody ought to be shouting about now. What's he saying? He said, he became poor. You know what that really means? It means he became just like you and me. Wow. He chose to lay aside his divinity. He chose to lay aside his power, his might, his glory, his titles, and he became just like you and me. He became poor so that you and I through him might become rich. Now that's the grace of giving. That's excelling in giving. God impoverished himself so that you and I might have the riches of his life. And if we want to excel in the grace of giving, if we want to follow his example, hang on, I'm getting ready to rock your world. If we want to follow his example, then you and I need to understand our giving in every aspect of our life. 
in every aspect of our life needs to match the spiritual reality of what Jesus has done for us. Let me say that one more time. I don't think you got it. If we're going to excel in the grace of giving, then our giving in every aspect of our life, from our finances, to our compassion, to our mercy, to our grace, to our service, to the gifts of our talents, every aspect of our life needs to match the reality of Christ's gift to you and me. What was his gift to you and me? He became impoverished so that we might be rich. He became poor so that we might know the wealth of heaven. So when I begin talking and wrapping this whole thing up, I want you to understand that giving really isn't about money. Money is only a demonstration of what God has done in us. Giving's about grace. Giving's about forgiveness. Giving is about mercy. Giving is about being guided. Giving is about being blessed. Giving is about being comforted and strengthened by the presence of a Most High God. How we handle our finances only demonstrates what God has done in our lives. I'll never forget, I was probably 10 years old, 1967, out in western Oklahoma. We were dirt poor. Understand that. My parents were poor. And most of the food we ate, we raised. But it was that time of the year when it wasn't time to butcher another calf or a pig, when most of the vegetables out of the garden had already been consumed, and I knew that things were tight even at that age. And I remember going to church on a Wednesday night, because any time the doors were open, my parents drug me there. By the way, if you have kids that don't want to come to church, it's not a choice. You bring them. Come on, be a parent. Don't let them tell you what they're going to do. You tell them what they are going to do because they are living under your house, under your authority, eating your food, burning your utilities. You be the parent. Amen. That's good preaching, whether you like it or not. Amen. I can remember being drugged to church that Wednesday night. And I remember a little old lady by the name of Agnes Womack. She lived about 10 miles away. We found out she had wrecked her car earlier that week. She didn't have any insurance, didn't have any money to fix it. She wasn't asking for anything except for somebody to pray for her. And I'll never forget, on the way to church that night, I had heard my parents talking about the fact they had $10 between them. That $10 had to buy gas and buy what groceries they needed to make it through the next week. And I will never forget standing outside that little old country church on that Wednesday night, and I saw my dad reach in his pocket and pull out that $10 and hand it to Agnes Womack. And you know what I thought? I thought, great, it's guineas again. (laughs) If you've never eaten a guinea, then you don't understand. It's not good. It's nasty. But when funds were running short, we ate the guineas. And it was horrible. I hated it. It's guineas again. But he did it because that's what God said to do. The story doesn't end there. It was probably 30, 45 days later This same lady, Agnes Womack, got an oil lease on her property. In other words, an oil company paid her for the rights to drill an oil well on her property. Back then, it wasn't a lot of money, probably five, six thousand dollars for 160 acres. And when she came to our house that evening and knocked on the door after she got that check, I was blown away when dad's ten dollars that he sowed into her life came back as a hundred dollars that she sowed into our lives. Folks, what am I telling you? I'm telling you, when you choose to be a giver, not just your money, but your heart, your compassion, your mercy, your faithfulness, God honors that every single time. 
God will not be beholding to you. He will honor his word in and over your life. Paul is telling the Corinthians in this passage of Scripture, Jesus made you rich. He made you rich in so many ways. And your giving, your life, should be based on that reality. And so then he describes what happens when we choose to follow Christ in this grace of giving. He says that he will supply and multiply seed to the sower, and your life becomes a source of thanksgiving to those that are around you. Oh, I don't know about you, but I'd rather have people saying, that's a great guy. He gives to God. He's helped me. He's blessed me. I give praise to God for him. Rather than people saying, that's a mean, nasty, gnarly guy that got up there, and I want nothing to do with him. What are they saying about you? What are they saying about you? You see, when we choose to excel in the grace of giving, we understand it's not just about bringing our tithe and giving our offerings. It's about giving our lives. It's about our lives becoming a living testimony for the grace, the mercy, the blessing of the Lord Jesus Christ flowing in and through us. So when you read this passage, Paul's not concerned about the budget. He's concerned about what's happening in the Corinthians, what's being displayed in their lives. You know, one of the most amazing aspects of corporate worship is the offering. Do you realize that? So many times we try to squeeze it down get it over with, not offend anybody by receiving an offering, yet it's an amazing act of worship. It's our opportunity to say, because I believe God, I'm going to partner with God, I'm going to trust God, and I'm going to watch and see what God does in me. I didn't ask you, but I'm going to do it, and I'll ask for forgiveness later, Sister Edward. You lost your husband a little over a year ago. It's been a difficult year. But let me tell you something. This lady gives tithe and brings offering even when it's all she's got because she knows God will grace her life because of her obedience. I want to tell you, her stove went out. There was a leak in her roof, but somebody fixed her roof. Somebody gave her a new stove. She didn't have to spend a dime out of her pocket. Her heater went out a few months ago when it was cold, and somebody sent somebody out there. Now, this is, this is the amazing part. This is the amazing part. A guy in the church sent a repairman out there. The repairman fixed the furnace, and then he told her, don't worry about it, it's covered under warranty. Now, I know it wasn't covered under warranty by the manufacturer. It was covered under warranty by the Heavenly Father. Oh, come on, church. You cannot outgive God. Give, and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over shall be given into your bosom. And with the same measure that you give, it shall be given back to you, is what Luke 6.38 says. Someone said, how do you deal with the debt load of this church? I don't. It's his problem, not mine. I tell God every day, God, if you don't show up and do something powerful, I'm going to be the biggest failure that ever hit Tallahassee. But you know what? I don't need to worry about it. It's not my problem. It's his. It's his. God's got control of this thing. My responsibility is to give, to give, to give. Amazing things happen when we choose to give. When we choose to adopt a lifestyle of a giver, amazing things happen in and through us. And every time that bucket passes in front of you, you are making a concrete demonstration of your faith in God. When you write that tithe check, when you give that offering, you're saying, I believe his word is true, and I'm going to put him to the test. 
I'm going to try him and see what he's going to do. I'm going to believe that my God is more than able to supply seed to the sower and multiply that which I have already sown. He can take a little harvest and make it a huge harvest because he multiplies the seed that we have already sown. Maybe some of you are thinking, well, I'm not sure where this is going and I'm not sure where I like it or not. Well, let me bring it around another direction. I believe our love and relationship with God is directly measured by our attitudes in giving. I really believe that. First John 3.17 from the message says, if you see some brother or sister, and let me pause here. I used this scripture on the first Sunday of February when we launched this message, this series, but I didn't really take time to qualify. So I want to take time to qualify this morning. When you look at the term brother or sister in the Greek, it literally means sibling, as though it's your natural-born brother or sister. Now, it's talking about the church family. It's talking about those of us who are related through the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen? Do you remember when we used to call each other brother and sister? We kind of got away from that. People think it's antique and old-fashioned and archaic, but the word still bears it to be true. If you're naming the name of Jesus Christ as your Savior, then we're brothers and sisters. All right, that's who it's talking about. It's talking about the church family. If you see your brother or your sister in need and have the means to do something about it, but turn a cold shoulder and do nothing, what happens to the love of God? It disappears. And you made it disappear is what the Scripture says. It disappears and you made it disappear. Now, I don't know about you, but if I have a brother or sister in need, I want to do everything I can to help them to meet that need. I don't want to be responsible for the love of God evaporating in their lives. I want to be responsible for the love of God multiplying in their lives. Now, someone said to me, well, does that mean the guy that's down there on the street asking me for some coins, is he a brother in Christ? It's a qualifier. You see, we have a great partnership with Glenn and Beth Burns. Matter of fact, Wednesday night we had it happen again. There was a homeless guy out here in front, went and got Glenn. He handled it just like that because he knows how to deal with those instances and circumstances. You and I may not be so well equipped. If you don't know how to do it, talk to Glenn. He's going to teach you how to deal with those circumstances so you understand how to display the love of God even in those occasions. So when we understand this, we understand we demonstrate God's love through or God's power, grace, and mercy through our love towards one another. What did Jesus say? All men will, you, will know you are my disciples by what? Your love. Your love. Not by your fancy clothes, not by the church you attend, not by the car you drive, not by the denominational name tag, but your love one for another. We understand that's the way we know we are sons and daughters of God. So we understand when we marry the love of God and the grace of giving, then we have the outcome of our lives being enriched and overflowed and being a testimony to those around us. So we understand this demonstrates God's love in us in two ways. Number one, shows us how much we love our money and the things that money provides. The possessions we have, the materials we possess, the luxuries we enjoy, the affluence that we live in, it shows how much we love our money and everything it buys. Number two, it shows how much we really love God. See, a lot of times we say we love God, but the bowels of compassion are shut up within us. We don't love God. Just see your brother or sister in need, and you have the means to meet the need, and you don't do it. You turn a cold shoulder. What did he say? 
the love of God disappears. And you cause it to disappear. We need to understand our responsibility is to love one another in measurable ways. It's easy to say, I love you. It's a little more difficult to live it out. It's easy to say, I'll pray for you, but do you really do it when you say it? In measurable ways. Giving demonstrates how much we love our money and how much we really love God. I quoted or referred to it earlier, Mark chapter 10, the story of the rich young ruler. He came to Jesus and he said, Master, what do I have to do to be saved? And you know what Jesus said? Obey the law and the prophets. He said, all these I have done since I was just a little bitty boy, since I was a youth. And Jesus said, well, there's one thing you lack. Go sell everything you have. Come take up your cross and follow me. The Bible says he went away sorrowful because he had a lot of stuff. How many times does our stuff separate us from our service to the king? How many times does our stuff keep us from picking up our cross and following him? You see, if we truly understand the grace of giving and that God excels in that grace and that we have become rich because he became poor, then we understand everything I hold, I hold very lightly. And I'm willing to release it at any time because he's the one who gave it to me. And when I release it, he's going to fill my hand again. He's going to supply and multiply seed to the sower. Maybe you've never heard of the guy. His name is L.G. Latruneau. He's a Texan. And back in the uh, 20s, he began building, patenting, road-building, construction, dirt-moving equipment. He built the first bulldozer. He built the first earth mover. He built the first airplane tow that hooks onto your airplane and pushes it back out uh, so that it can move to the uh, taxiway and then to the runway. He invented all these things and built them. And in 1929, he found himself in severe financial hardship. But he began to trust God, and God brought him out of that place of very severe hardship. He owed $100,000 in 1929. Do you know what 1929 year was? The first year of the Great Depression. He had no way to repay it. He couldn't see how he could do it. But he chose to trust God, and God brought him through. That debt was satisfied and paid. And he began then to prosper in the Great Depression. You hear what I'm saying? Worst 10-year economic period in the history of our country, he began to prosper. And in 1935, his wife Evelyn said to him, I think God wants us to give him 90% and we live on 10%. Wow, that's right. You need to Google him, read his story. It's a powerful story. And so they begin to do that personally. And he did that even with the profits from his manufacturing company. 90% of those profits went into the kingdom, 10% went to the propagation of the company. And year after year after year after year after year, God blessed him. God favored him because he decided that I can't outgive God. I'm going to invert the principle. I'm not going to do the minimum. I'm going to do all I can do. I'm going to give him 90 and I'll keep 10 and see what God can do. Now, I'm not suggesting you do that, but I'm suggesting you think about it. And ask God how that would change your life, how that would impact your thinking, what it would do in you and through you. Very quickly, I want to give you six biblical guidelines for giving. First, I want you to understand we should give regularly. That's what 1 Corinthians 16, 2 tells us. On the first day of the week, decide what you're going to give. Set it aside and give it regularly. And then number two, 
give of your first fruits. That's what Proverbs 3, 9 tells us. Honor God with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase, and your barns will be full and your vats will overflow with wine. Proverbs 3, 9 and 10. So bring your first fruits, not your leftovers. See, that's our philosophy. I'm going to sit down and I'm going to pay all my bills. I'm going to put 5% in savings. I'm going to put 5% in retirement. And if I've got anything less, then I'll give it to God. Folks, that's not faith. That's not trust. That doesn't activate the promise of God over your life. What activates the promise of God is when you say the first fruits are going to the king. The first fruits are going to the king. And I'm going to believe him that that rest, that leftover is more than enough for me. I'm going to give him the first fruits and I'll take the leftovers. Love the way you're shouting now. Number three, give proportionately. Second Corinthians 8, 3, give as you've been blessed. Some can give a lot, some can give a little, but everybody needs to do something. If we're going to follow God in the grace of giving. Give cheerfully, number four, 2 Corinthians 9, 7. God loves a cheerful giver. Don't give reluctantly. Don't give out of compulsion. i got to tell you, I hate these preachers that twist your arm up behind your back and you feel like if I don't put $100 in his offering, I'm probably going to go to hell. That is not what God is telling us to do. Come on, it's not about guilt. It's not about pressure. It's about understanding the word and responding in faith. Responding in obedience, saying, I'm going to test him. I'm going to try him. I'm going to see what God can do in my life. I don't have time to tell you all the stories that we've experienced when we chose to test him, to try him, to see him good, do good things in our lives. And then number five, give generously. Second Corinthians 9, 6. Think of someone else before you think of yourself. Number six, and the last one, give sacrificially. Second Corinthians 8, 4 through 1. The Macedonians gave out of their lack. They were the poorest of the poor, yet they begged for the opportunity to participate in an offering to send to the saints in Jerusalem. They considered it a privilege. Second Corinthians 9, put it back up there one more time, verses 10 and 11. I want you to see this again. I want it to resonate in your spirit. Now may he who supplies seed to the sower. Do you understand that Paul is pronouncing a blessing over the Corinthians because they chose to obey? Now may he who supplies Seed to the sower and bread for food. Supply and multiply the seed you have sown. I love that. I love that. Matter of fact, if you'll get that in your spirit, you will never again hold that offering envelope so tied in your finger, afraid to get loose of it, but you will throw it in the bucket. You'll run to the usher. You won't let him pass you by because I know that everything I sow, he's going to multiply. He's going to supply. It's going to come back when I give it into the king's hand. Supply and multiply. Seed to the sower. I love that. And increase the fruits of your righteousness while you are enriched in everything for all liberality, which causes thanksgiving through us to God. Sheldon, Deborah, Akuru, and Amy, would you come, please? I want to show you what happens when we choose to give to God. When you read the Old Testament, when you read the New Testament, come right on up here with me, please. You're going to find again and again that God says, test me. God says, try me. God says, release what I've given you and see what happens. What does James 1.17 say? It says, every good and every perfect gift cometh from above, from the Father of lights, the Lord of glory. 
We understand everything we have comes from God. Everything that we have, come right on over here a little bit, Amy, come right on up here. Akua, you're right there, perfect. Everything we have comes from God. It's a gift from Him. Corey Tinboom said it this way, everything that I have tried to hang on to in my life, I've lost. But everything I've given to God, I've received back. We need to understand that's a principle of the kingdom and that everything we have does, in fact, come from the Father. Yes, I'm going to make a mess again this morning. Don't get bent out of shape about it. We're going to make a mess today, but you're going to see what God's going to do for you. See, the Scripture says, Give, and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, shall be given into your bosom. And with the same measure that you give, it'll be measured back to you. R.G. Trineau, let you know, the man I just talked about, said it this way. I shovel it in, God shovels it out. But his shovel is bigger than mine. So when we choose to give, when we choose to give, to release, release it, release it, release it. When we choose to release what God has given to us, then his word becomes true, active, and powerful in our lives. And when he do, then he begins to give until it runs over, until it's overflowing, until we can't contain it any longer. But if we keep our hand closed, turn your hands over. If we keep our hand closed, if we don't give to God, then anything he tries to give to us just bounces off. There's no room. But when we give, what does he do? He gives some more. It becomes good measure, pressed down, running over, shall be given into our bosom. And with the same measure that we measure, it'll be given back to us. Oh, come on, somebody. Get it in your heart and in your spirit. If you want to be stingy, you're going to get a stingy harvest. But if you want to be generous... If you want to open your heart and life, if you want to say, this is what God has given to me, and I'm going to give back into his kingdom, then you will never find yourself in a place but what God's faithfulness is more than enough for you. James Elliott gave his life in Ecuador for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Probably his most famous statement was, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Listen to me, folks. You're not going to take anything with you when you exit this life. It's all staying behind. It doesn't matter if you put a sack in the casket, it's going in the ground and it's staying there. You're not going to take a thing with you. But if you will lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not corrupt, where thieves do not break through and steal, then one day you're going to hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter thou into the joys of the Lord. Stand your feet with me across this room. Tom, come up. Are you ready? I want to sing it one more time. Nothing is impossible. I want you to sing it out this morning. Y'all can be seated. Thank you. Thank you. Nothing is impossible. Come on, sing it out today. Thank you for listening to audio from Christian Heritage Church located in Tallahassee, Florida. Feel free to give copies of this message to others, but do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Christian Heritage Church, please visit us online at chctoday.com.